listening to This Is Wellness, the podcast where wellness looks different for everyone. We all know habits can be the ultimate wellness friend or foe, but how do you actually make an initiative into a habit? Today, our hosts explore habits, what it takes to make them, and what to do when you break the good ones. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us. This is Wellness with Celeste Nevadas, and, and I'm Sarah Polk. And Sarah Polk. Today, we are talking about habit forming, something that I've weirdly become obsessed in over the last few months. I don't know how or why this happened. Actually, I do. I picked up a book um, by James Clear, Atomic Habits. Great book. It was one of those audible, highly recommended. So there I was listening to it. I think I've heard it twice now. And since then, I've really been interested in how we find motivation, um, decide to make significant changes in our life, and how we actually take small steps to change our habits. Because I think, and Sarah, I'm sure you could speak to this, but I know for me, I'm like, I'm going to become a morning person, or I'm going to lose 10 pounds in three months. Like, I'm going to change my eating habits. I'm going to exercise, like just these really great, ambitious and they sound really good on paper ideas. And then when it comes to day one, I'm like, oh, no. I actually had seen something just recently that was like, I always make these plans to change things and all totally based on complete lack of reality of who I actually am. Yeah. Everything hinges on I'm going to wake up tomorrow. I'm going to be super productive. I'm going to do all of these things that I never actually do. <laughs> but tomorrow, it's definitely going to be different. Because tomorrow, because I'm going to be a unicorn. Tomorrow, I'm going to be a unicorn. And it's kind of where I say, like, past Sarah hates future Sarah. Because yeah. past Sarah constantly does things <laughs> that future Sarah has to clean up the mess for. Um, and that also comes down to those habits of the things that we just do right. out of habit. And I think Saturday Celeste is so much more ambitious than Monday morning Celeste. Yes. Like, oh, man, next week, you know what I'm going to do? Everything. You know what I'm going to be great at? All of the things. Like, it's just, and I'm sure there's some folks listening who can nod and agree. Like, we just set these really great goals, but to actually back into them or put them into action and do it is a lot harder than we thought about three days ago or, you know, last week when we were mapping out our vision boards, right? Exactly. And there are actually just so many things that go into what it actually takes to make a habit and mm -hmm. how different people make habits. So what I got from James Clear, and I want to quote him directly because I this is his work, um, and I want to give credit where credit is due. Again, that's Atomic Habits. I am not getting sponsored by him to say that. It's just a really great book. Um, but what he says is true behavior change is identity change. And that's what you were saying earlier. Like, oh, I'm just going to become this new person. Like, no, you're not going to change your identity overnight. And if your identity goal is so far from who you are as a person every day, that might be a problem. Yeah. Or not a problem. It, it might be difficult. Mm -hmm. Like, I identify as a night owl. That's just who I am. I like staying up late. I'm emailing till 11 o'clock at night. I know it's terrible, but I'd rather email you at 11 o'clock at night than 630 in the morning. And I know I have some folks who are like, I clear out my inbox before eight. And I'm like, ugh. see, and then I am neither. I am not a morning person, nor am I a night <laughs> owl. I'm a mid afternoon flamingo. Oh. I like to like, that's when I get into my groove hmm. between one and five. That is when I am the most productive. That's okay. when I am shooting down my task list and Every time someone's like, oh, you're a morning person. I'm like, no, I force myself to be awake in the morning. It's not, it is not pleasant. It is not pretty. No. But I'm here. I'm not. I'm saying no to me. Like, you've seen me in the morning mm -hmm. and it is, yeah, 
And you've seen me at night. I turn into a pumpkin <laughs> at 10 o'clock. Like if I don't force myself to be something else in the morning, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It takes work. And so I think that's what I wanted to talk about um, with habit forming is that we're changing essentially your identity. And so making goals that are aligned with that new identity or that that new person you are trying to become instead of saying, I'm going to remain this person, but I'm just going to change a couple things and hope that it works out. Like, I know I'm not going to be the person that wakes up at 4.30 in the morning to clear out my inbox and exercise. I like how it started at 6.30 and then you shifted it to 4.30. <laughs> well, and you know, I think it's because I keep seeing on social media about like my five to nine before my nine to five. I don't know if you've seen that. Oh, I have seen that. And yeah. I'm like, who are these people? Mm-hmm. Who is waking up at 4.30 to start their meditation at five and like eat a full breakfast at six and exercise? Like I, I aspire to be that, I think. In my mind, I'm like, that is great. And then when it comes down to my habit forming, I'm like, nah. No. But I also wonder, too, there are sometimes things that necessitate that for people. Children. Mm-hmm. I will be awake by 6 a.m. every day by default. Whether or not I go back to bed is a different story because my dog demands mm-hmm. breakfast. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I think there are things in your environment or things that are part of your day yeah. that dictate that as well. And that's so interesting. So James Clear has this really great step-by-step sort of 30 days to better habit forming. And one of those lessons in here is your environment, mm-hmm. right? Which we're going to talk about environmental wellness too, a lot more in depth later too. Yeah. We have a whole episode on just that. But the way to increase your odds about your habits is to improve your environment to be conducive to that, right? So making it somewhere where you want to be awake in the morning. Right. Or if you wake up in the morning and you're, I don't know, something really small, like your room is too dark, right? And so you're like, this isn't motivating me to wake up because it's really nice and dark and cozy. Like, I don't need the sunshine because I'm in my little cold cave. I don't know. Um, Or like your environment of your dog who's going to wake you up because they have to be fed, he doesn't have to be fed at 6 a.m. He just demands to be fed at 6 a.m. I feel like some parents of toddlers are going to agree with you on exactly. that as well. Um, so creating environmental changes that make it easier to stick to your habits every day. So I think we want ide- to identify these major, not major changes, but these habits that we want to change as identity changes. I think that's sort of step one. Like, I want to do this, meaning I want to become the kind of person who does this. You know, I often say um, people who enjoy things like hiking, like hikers, that's an identity. They wake up early because it's hot to hike in the middle of the day, right? So if you develop this identity around this goal, like we'll say you're a dog mom. Yes. Right. Your identity around that, you make sure that they are well fed, well groomed. You're like, hey, I got to go do this because that's really important to me. I have seen you make dog costumes, like the time that you spend on your dog costumes. (laughs) Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, (laughs) That's your identity. That's your habits forming around that in order to, I don't know, protect, preserve or align with that identity as dog mom. Yeah. And being able to bring that um I guess for me, I see it as enhancing their world. I Mm -hmm. take them for walks, both because I do know that I need to go for a walk, too. But I kind of make it a point to take my dog for a walk so that he doesn't get fat from all of the extra treats that he eats (laughs) um, and all of the extra food that he finds around. And being able to really hone in on that, it helps my wellness in that way because I get my walks. I know at one point during the pandemic those first few months, I was going on two or three walks a day. And one of my dogs actually hid from me under the bed. His little feet were sticking out on the end (laughs) because he was like, I have short little legs. I can't do this. You're killing me. 
Um, and really being able to lean into that for my wellness, but then also theirs, I kind of was like, well, they need to go for walks too. Let's go. Mm. And then I kind of realized, okay, maybe not. Maybe I need to back away from that a little bit too. It's maybe a little overboarding it. Yeah. A little overboard. But it winds up being a part of who I am and a part of what kind of keeps me going. So would you say that in that, when you were forming those habits of walking and exercise, having them, I don't know if it's accountability, like having them hold you accountable or like being excited about the walk, maybe not the one that was hiding, but the other ones that when you got the leashes out, they were like, oh, yay, we're going out. You know, did that help motivate you? Yeah, very much so. And the one that was hiding is also, he's a corgi, so they get overweight very easily. And Mm. it's very, it's a good positive reinforcement when the vet says, oh, he's a nice, healthy weight. So even just that other positive reinforcement of, okay, I know I'm going to be held accountable by their vet Mm. to make sure that I've been doing this. Mm. And there is that external input of they are there, they are getting the zoomies and obviously needing to go for something, something to expel that energy obviously I should do that. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think if it, if I had a quieter dog who wasn't as active and just kind of like sitting there quietly, I might not be reminded externally as mm-hmm. easily. And it might be a little bit more of that internal motivation that I need to focus on to make it happen. One of the things that um, I learned through this process too, is it's called the master. You need to master the art of showing up. Mm-hmm. And you and I talk about that a lot clinically, like you need yes. to show up for all those things. But in this case, in habit forming, showing up is half the battle, right? And I did a little experiment with this, full disclosure, we haven't talked about this yet. Um, a little experiment with even exercise. I love to exercise, but I know the first week is always the worst because I go too hard. Like I don't just do a 30 minute walk. Like I'm going to do an hour, I'm going to run and then I'm going to lift. And then I usually injure myself or I'm too sort of function for the next two weeks. And it's like, what have you done? Um, So after reading this book, the art of showing up was interesting because one of the um, people in the book that's mentioned goes to the gym every day and goes for two minutes. He was just trying to master the art of showing up. So he goes to the gym, like the idea of getting dressed putting your gym clothes on, driving to the gym, parking, you know, sometimes that's annoying. Yeah. That's (laughs) a whole process. Yeah. And then getting on the treadmill two minutes and then leaving. So I'm just making that habit of being there. Right. And I thought that seems so wasteful at first, like what a waste of time. And then I did it. So I did my treadmill, which is at home. It's not that far. Um, And I only did five minute walks. And there were times where I wanted to push myself to do 10 And I was like, no, I'm just mastering showing up. You know, I'm not going to do 10 minute and do sprints or something ridiculous, which by the way, I'm terrible at. Um, Anybody who actually saw me would be like, you're not much of a runner. (laughs) Um, But I think just showing up and doing the five minutes to get used to after work, I have to do this was so much easier than at the end of the two weeks. I think I did it for 10 days. Um, it was easier to go for 10, 20, 30 minutes because I had already gotten the habit of showing up for that. Well, and when you think about it like exercise, yeah, it's not just 20 to 30 minutes of exercise. It is the getting in your car, right. going, it's the getting dressed, it's the showering after. Mm-hmm. There's a whole process that winds up being a lot longer than the kind of net amount of active time that we think of. Right. Going to the gym for 30 minutes involves 30 minutes of transit or changing Mm -hmm. or all of those different things. 
So I was really excited because I got an elliptical. That was like my big thing during the pandemic because I never did the elliptical at the gym. Mm hmm because I knew my legs would be kind of like jello and I didn't want to see have people see me like wobbling away. So I got an elliptical and then I just fall over on the bed afterwards and no one's there to witness me right. having no real legs for like 10 minutes afterwards. <laughs> but you have to think about that recovery time and that prep time right. while you're doing things. I know that's something um, we were talking about our spouses and when they cook and things like that. <laughs> my spouse never thinks about the prep time that goes into things. Oh, this will be 30 minutes. no. No, we're not going to eat for an hour and a half because I know you still need to cut everything. And when you're looking at that of what's the process that it takes to be whatever it is that I want, I want to be an exerciser right now. I want to be a cook right now. I want to be whatever these things are. There's a process that starts and an end process. I think we don't always take into consideration when we're talking about this is what I'm going to be going forward. Right. Right. And that's really why I'll be honest, why I picked this topic mm-hmm. was because of that. We judge our own wellness and our success of our wellness based on that identity. Right. Like, well, I only walked for two minutes. I'm obviously not fit or this, you know, Instagram fitness model or whatever it is that you are comparing yourself to be. That can be really daunting. Or like you have a friend who runs marathons or whatever, who can do an hour and a half on the elliptical. And you're like, cool, I would like to do this for 20 minutes. And then you start getting into the prep and you start getting into the recovery time. And you're like, this is a lot more than 20 minutes. I don't think I want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. So this conversation is to invite you to normalize the prep (laughs) and the recovery time and let you know that this is a habit forming takes a lot more work than I think we give ourselves credit for. It's oversimplified. And I think we're easy. And sometimes even as therapists, I'll do that you need to start doing this. It'll be healthy for you. And my clients are looking at me like, you don't know how much that takes of me or how taxing that is. And so this has really helped me as a clinician. It's helped me as a person to really look at habit forming differently to understand it's based off the identity I'm trying to accomplish and understand that there's always more time involved that I'm looking at, right? I just, I think we oversimplify it and it's like, just start running or you need to exercise 30 minutes, two times a week. Yeah. So much easier said than done. Right. But I think it's also, and we'll get into this in another episode as well, thinking of, okay, who who is it that I am currently? Mm-hmm. So like I said, I know mid-afternoon is when I really strive. That's when my mental game is totally on. That's when I need to proofread things. That's when I need to write things. That's when I need to, you know, be that really like mental game. Mm-hmm. Knowing that I can accommodate other things that aren't so mentally taxing during different times. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be an early bird to be able to be successful or be something. I can be awake and maybe not as highly functional in the morning (laughs) um, when I don't necessarily need my brain at full steam. And that's okay, too. Mm -hmm. That can be the time that I show up for something that's not as mentally draining. So let me ask you this. How do you create an environment that is conducive to that habit for you? for being able to be sort of your most productive self from one to five or whatever that time window looks like for you. Yeah. That's typically when I, um, put myself on do not disturb. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of people will notice that and I'm either in session or Mm -hmm. which I kind of focus my sessions to be in the afternoon because I know I'm more mentally on that game. Um, and I have the ability and fewer clients to be able to accommodate that. And it's a lot of, even kind of planning out those tasks. What one is going to be quick and I can get it out of the way right off the bat Mm -hmm. so it's not then in the back of my Mm -hmm. mind um, and being, you know, kind of there at the 
in taking away from the thing that does need a lot of my mental acuity. Mm -hmm. So I think a part of it is knowing that that's the time that I kind of shine and when my brain is on the most and taking away things that will distract from that, Mm -hmm. that don't necessarily, I don't need to do an afternoon walk because that's not what I need to use that brain power time for. Mm -hmm. Um, I can focus that on other things and be more productive in that way. Yeah, that makes sense. I know when I was trying my little experiment of the the five minute walks every day, I had my sneakers on my treadmill already ready to go. Mm-hmm. So I'm always in socks, right? Even if I get off work, come back home, I can just slip those on really quick and do a five minute walk. No mm-hmm. excuses, right? Um, they're already there. They're already set up for me versus, oh my gosh, where are they? I don't know. Yes. <laughs> All of the things that sort of get in the way. So that helps for that as well. My other question for you, and maybe it's not for work productivity, maybe it's some other habit of yours. How do you reward yourself for something when you've accomplished this new habit or when you've changed something to be more successful for you? I think frequently people reward themselves with things that are almost like the opposite Yes. Or the antithesis, right? Yes. I finally worked out for two weeks, so now I'm going to have go overboard on chocolate cake or yeah. something like Cheesecake. that. Cheesecake. Yeah. Cheesecake. Um, so I think a part of it is finding something that works for you. So I know once I got to being able to do 20 minutes straight on the elliptical, and I was finally golden there, and my whole recovery time had really eased up for my mm-hmm. legs being jello, um, I rewarded myself by going out and getting a new audiobook for oh, that nice. process. And it was kind of a, I wasn't going to spend the money on an audiobook and I didn't have the one that I wanted at the library. So it's like, okay, I want this one particularly, but I'm going to prove to myself that I can do this. That's cool. And that's going to be then also not only a reward for having accomplished this, but also an encouragement to continue doing it. Yours is so much better than mine. Mine what is, was like yours? new workout clothes um, that are just like See, and I do obnoxious. the whole buying the obnoxious <laughs> workout clothes beforehand as a way to encourage me oh, to go do it. Oh, okay. Does it always work? Not necessarily. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good one, too, though. What's going to motivate you? I have seen some folks, though, that overdo it. Yeah. Oh, and I've been guilty of it. Yeah. I remember, and some people listening might know this story, but I was trying to pick up tennis. I really, really wanted to be a tennis player. Like I just, that was the identity I was going for. I bought the skirt. I bought the outfits. I really like the outfits. I bought the racket. Um, and then I got there and I was like, I don't know if I like this. And I was like, well, I have to like it because I've invested so much money in that. Yep. Um, but then it just was guilt and not really motivation. Right. I did that with archery. Oh, wow. and I actually did. I went out and went bow shooting mm-hmm. with some of my friends Um and they were kind of even just teaching me some things. And I was so happy afterwards as I had these bruises on my arms and everything. And I was like, I'm so happy I didn't buy that compound bow that I really wanted. And I just stuck with the basic beginner. I want to try that. This is, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. It was an early morning nope. with yeah a group of people that I didn't really know all that well. It was like one of my friends was like, oh, yeah, I go bow shooting with these people. And I said, like, OK, great. No, you just said early morning and that, that doesn't was match a, my identity. That was a rough <laughs> Saturday morning, I will tell you. I, I was actually pretty decent at it for my first go. That's but good. I was. I was very happy afterwards that I did not invest a bunch of money in that compound bow. No. So one of the other things that came up in this um, 
Better Habits Workbook. Again, James Clear, not mine. Um, Just giving credit where it is due. Really like this. It says, rather than having some linear relationship with achievement, habits tend to have more of a compound growth curve. The greatest returns are delayed. Temptation, bundling, and commitment devices are two helpful strategies that may help you get over the hump and build a habit that lasts. So let's unpack that. That's a lot. And we talk about this in in trauma and healing that um, growth isn't linear. So why do we do that with ourselves, with our habit forming, right? Like it's got to always be progress. We always have to move forward. And I can't miss one of my workouts because then I'm set back three months when that's not reality. We're going to miss a day of... um, an exercise, we're going to miss a 20 minute workout. We're going to miss a day of productivity because something happens. Right. Um, so looking at this in a long-term goal. Um, and I think the best way to break this down is something I'm not super well-versed in, but like investments, right? If you put $5 a day, right. They always tell you that $5 a day, a cup of coffee, you can be a millionaire by the time you're 60 or whatever. Um, this is not financial advice, (laughs) but they always tell you to do small things so that the return is later and it's greater. So the same with our habit forming here. If we start small, I'm not going to get abs in 30 days. Like I know that there are things I've even seen them on like Pinterest, like here's 30 days to abs. And I'm like, no, that's not going to happen. (laughs) despite my best efforts. Um, And so thinking about things, we're not going to see a return right away. And that can be discouraging. And I think that's where a lot of folks get like, oh, I can't do that. Or I don't know how to do that. Or um, I started something and I didn't get the results I wanted right away. So I just went back to my old habits, right? And so normalizing the fact that this is going to take some time. And again, This is not linear. There are ups and downs. There are lulls. I know for even exercising, you guys remember during COVID when I was trying to do my goal for running, I won't say what it is, but um, I hit a block and I like was super stuck. I could not beat my time anymore. And I was so frustrated. Um, And I gave up because I was like, well, I guess I'll just never do it. And I go back to that. I'm like, I need to get back on that. That was such a attainable goal for me. And I just, once I hit a plateau, I just walked away. So how do you, in your habit forming, avoid that plateau or that that it has to be linear and forward only in changing habits? So I think for me, my focus is I am very much a vision. And at the end of this, I think this is what it's going to turn out to be. So to give you some context for that, it's actually something like in crafting and in costuming that I have gotten very good at giving myself the leeway that I need for my final vision or even like think of home renovation projects or things like that. You know what it's going to look like at the end, but the process to get there is messy and it can be chaotic and it can like you have a moment where you look and you're like, this gaping wall is supposed to be my kitchen. (laughs) What am I doing? This was a mistake. Right. And we have that regret. Um, I think I'm really good at being the person who can see kind of the bones of it or that rough outline even through the mess and the chaos of it. And I think that applies to habits as well. Absolutely. So I can see that eventually I'm going to get there, even though right now it doesn't seem like that. It doesn't look like that. I'm not able to maintain, you know, working out every single day during this really chaotic period of my life. Right. Whatever it is that's happening. I'm moving. I'm pregnant. I'm this. I'm that. I don't have a car right now. Whatever it may be. Right. 
but you can still see the outline of what that vision is and take some steps to make it happen. And sometimes that can be what my spouse refers to as me strong arming the world into place. (laughs) Um, Says that frequently, whether it's fabric or, you know, um, my work sometimes even he's like, you just kind of strong arm things into place and make it happen, whether it's wants to or not. Mm But I think that applies to the habits of, okay, I can force this into place, even if it doesn't necessarily feel like it fits right now, because I have that end goal in mind and I know what my vision is, even if I've lost sight of it, because it looks really chaotic and it looks completely out of my control and it's not at all what I was picturing and I'm not there yet. Right. So with that, I absolutely agree that you can't see the forest from the trees. You're like, is this going to be a beautiful Mm -hmm. gown? Or am I about to make these new curtains because it's just too much and I can't see outside of it? Did I waste hundreds of dollars on fabric? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Or I just got to power outfits. through. Or tennis outfits <laughs> or a compound bow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to hear what our listeners have to disclose that they've invested in as well. <laughs> but so I want to leave everybody with this. And again, this is from the um, workbook. But the two minute rule. A two-minute rule states that when you start a new habit, it should take less than two minutes to do it. So, for example, instead of my goal being, I'm going to walk 10,000 steps every day, change it to being, I'm going to put my running shoes on every afternoon. Because I can put running shoes on in two minutes. I can't walk 10,000 steps in two minutes. No, you can't. I mean, yeah, no. No. Not unless you're, you're not Flash Gordon. Right. Um, so thinking about that and reframing them in a way that is more doable, achievable, and reaching our identity changes and behavior changes um, with starting with two minute behavior changes. And I really liked that. That was a big one for me. And I want to leave everybody with that as an idea and inspiration um, because Lord knows that you and I could use some habit changing. And we are working on these with y'all. We are not telling you how to do it. We are doing it with you. Absolutely. Which is why our next episode is all about how to hack into the things that are, this is where you really are. And how do we make that change fit for who you really are? Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Wellness and we will see you next week. 